Great. So we're thinking about Pentecost. Pentecost Sunday is today. Um, and uh, often when we think of Pentecost, we go straight to the gifts. We think of um, tongues of fire on people's heads. We think of speaking in tongues. We think of all the, the, um, the charismatic gifts that uh, are on offer. And actually, um, what I want us to think about and what we've kind of talked about in the passage just now, is not just about the gift, but actually, um, and this is a, a Peter Parker quote, any, any Spider-Man fans in the house? Um, so, uh, with great power comes great responsibility. So often we think on um, Pentecost around power. We think of the power that God's Spirit brought to his church, the, this empowering, you know, these people who were actually um, quite scared. Uh, they, they were found at hiding. Um, and then they go out and they change the world. And the world is changed because of uh, Jesus' impact on his disciples and their ability to go out and make an impact on uh, the world around them. And that has trickled, not trickled down, it's expanded ever since, even to us. And that's why we're sitting um, here today, is because they were empowered people. God's Spirit empowered them. So, so we can often focus on God's power uh, in Pentecost, and that's not wrong. But I want to uh, focus on the responsibility that comes with that power. So um, uh, when we're thinking about it, I think um, there's, there's, well, we'll be looking at this, this uh, object lesson of a temple and with that comes responsibility, as I've just said. And another, um, another word that is used is ambassadors or representatives. Um, in the message version, um, it says that we are ambassadors for Christ. So there's a responsibility about that as well. But I'm going to help us think about the whole responsibility we have around this temple image. And so Paul, in this passage, there's division going on in the church, and there's a whole long passage that runs up to it. And this is kind of the, the grenade that he throws in at the end to try and seal uh, the deal of his, his argument around division in the church. And he uses the temple, which would have been explosive language for them. For us, it, it less so, because we don't really know what it means. We don't probably have a visual uh, that comes to mind immediately. Um, so this object lesson, this uh, single object lesson, it's like if you, if you have an object lesson about seeds, but you don't really understand what a seed is because you're not a farmer. There's, there's, the object lesson falls apart. This is Paul's object lesson here. It's about a temple. And actually, I think uh, I'd love for us first to restructure our view of what the temple is and means. So, um, but before we do that, I'd love to, to just get a sense of what people think about when, uh, when they hear the word temple. And so you've got a minute now to turn to your neighbor and say, when, when you hear the word temple, what comes to mind? It could be a picture of something. It could be uh, words or feelings. What, what comes to mind when you hear the word temple? Go. What's come to mind? What's come to mind? Any, anybody willing to share? Pop your hand up and I'll run out to you the mic. Yes, Simon. What comes to mind? No, it's the wrong image, but my image was the Parthenon in Greece. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so in in Athens. Uh, yeah, great, great image. Any anyone else? What comes to mind for you when you hear the word temple? Um, the words that came in our group were rich, um, ornate, big, grand, stone, beautiful. 
Great. Yeah, actually, that's, that's on track. And you, one last one. Any, what came to mind for you? This isn't a right or wrong answer. I, I, this is just trying to help us understand where we're at. Yes, Jenny, thank you. Maybe a church or a place of worship? Excellent, a church and a place of, wow, actually, uh, you guys have surprised me, you've done better than I thought we would. When, when I heard the word temple, I think I, it basically goes blank. It's kind of uh, some pillars, perhaps, like, like Athens, um, but I wouldn't have much to go by. But actually, for the, um, for the people that Paul was speaking to, they would have had immediate and kind of visceral response to the word temple, and it, it encapsulated so much about how they understood themselves. It was kind of a thousand-year-old structure that sat at the center, not just of their religious life as uh, Jews, but as their political life as well. Their identity as Jews sat within this structure. They, everything they kind of understand about who they are, obviously there's all sorts of history that leads up to the temple, but this is the culmination of it. This is, um, their identity is very much tied up in the temple. And you see that when, when Jesus is kind of gently and not so gently prodding them about their understanding of the temple and, and saying actually the temple's place has a place, but you're overestimating what it is. But for the normal Jew, it would have some kind of sense of uh, the, the royal family, the, um, the houses of parliament, all those kind of things, all the things that sit at the center of our British identity, perhaps, um, Westminster Abbey, all those things, all those combined into one. This sat at the center of how they understood religion and God and their um, people, the Jewish people. So, when Paul mentioned it, that they were then um, called the temple, this was, as I said before, this was explosive for them. They wouldn't have had any uh, sense of understanding that. Jesus mentions it, but they, that, they would, it would pass them by as so many things did uh, to, for the disciples. And also, the, at, um, at the time, the temple was still in use. It had been in use for a thousand years, um, and it was still in use there today. Um, not today, uh, but that day, they would have been hearing about the temple and they would have been thinking, how are we the temple? How are we the temple? Now we just, it kind of goes over our heads and we don't understand what the analogy means. So I would love us to understand a bit more of what they would have understood. And, um, and the best people, if you're ever, if you're ever in a quandary uh, or wondering what to do um, in the Bible, the Bible Project is the place to go. Um, and we've got a little video, so, um, so I'll, I'll, uh, we'll watch that now, and that will help us understand what they understood. If you could go back to the city of Jerusalem during Bible times, the biggest thing you'd see is the temple. This beautiful building was designed by King David and built by King Solomon, and they believed that it was the home of the God of the universe. Wait, I thought God's home was in heaven. Well, the whole point of this earthly temple is that it's the place that overlaps with God's heavenly home. The temple is where God lives and rules all creation as king. That's cool. but. Even Solomon, who built the temple, didn't believe that it could contain the God of the universe, right? Yeah, the building was just a symbol, and it pointed to the fact that all of creation is God's temple. And that's actually what the first page of the Bible, Genesis 1, is all about. Really? It says that creation is God's temple? Well, it doesn't need to say it. The whole story shows it. 
In Genesis 1, God creates an ordered world out of a dark wasteland by speaking in a series of seven days. Then on the seventh day, God's presence fills creation as he takes up his rest and rule. Similarly, the tabernacle and later the temple were built and dedicated in a series of seven speeches and seven days, after which the priest or king could rest and rule in God's presence. Ah, so all of creation is where God intends to dwell. It's like his temple. Exactly. Now, turn the page to Genesis 2 and we get another portrait of creation. This one focuses in on the land. And in the center of the land is a region called Eden, which in Hebrew means delight. And in the middle of delight, God plants a garden in which God and humanity live together. And that's why the temple was modeled after the garden, filled with imagery of gold and flowers. The menorah symbolized the tree of life. It's the place where God dwells with his people. Oh, got it. And check this out. In the temple, the Israelite priests and Levites were to work and to keep the temple in God's presence. This is exactly the job description given to humanity in the Garden of Eden. So these humans were the first priests. But instead of ruling with God, they wanted to rule on their own terms, and they're exiled from the Garden Temple. And like Adam and Eve, Israel's leaders also wanted to rule on their own terms, and they too were exiled. The temple was destroyed, and this left them wondering, did God give up on Israel? Will God bring about a new creation? Well, the biblical prophets anticipated the day when God would create a new temple with a new priesthood. That's when God's presence would fill all of creation. And when the Israelites returned to the land, they did rebuild the temple. But that temple didn't turn out the way the prophets hoped. In fact, later Israelite prophets said that this temple was hopelessly corrupt. So they're still waiting for the ultimate temple. And here we come to the story of Jesus. He said that through him, God's presence and rule was coming into our world in a new way. And he presented himself as a new kind of priest. But Jesus wasn't a priest, and he didn't work in the temple. Right. Jesus said that God's presence, his rest and rule, was filling the world through his own life, death, and resurrection. Jesus was claiming that he was the true temple. And this new temple would expand out to include all of creation. That's a really big claim. And it got even bigger. After his resurrection, Jesus said that God's presence would come to dwell in and among his followers so that they would become mini temples. Communities of people where God rests and rules. Exactly. This is the Bible's vision of the church, which is described as a temple. Not a building, but people. Yeah, like when Peter says, you all are living stones built up as a temple for God's spirit to dwell. So at the end of the story, do we ever get a new physical temple? Well, not exactly. What we see is a renewed cosmic temple, just like Genesis 1. And this new creation doesn't need a temple building because through Jesus, all creation is now the place where God rests and rules the world with his people. Oops. So, um, well, I think when we think of temple, I'd love for us to think of the words like this, sacred, holy, set apart, where the presence of God dwells, awe-inspiring, bringing about relationship with God, offering forgiveness, symbol of God's goodness and gentleness. I think um, if we're going to 
combine that list perhaps of what we would see the Old Testament temple to represent and then the list that we would attribute to our own lives um, I think it's, it's quite a challenging uh, list to try and live up to. I'll read it again and in, in your mind think am I living um, as a temple of God's Holy Spirit in the world around? Am I living as God's temple? Are these the words that people use to describe me? Are these the things that people think of when they see me? Sacred, holy, set apart, full of the presence of God, awe-inspiring, opening up relationship with God, a forgiving presence, a symbol of God's greatness in the world, a symbol of God's goodness and love. If we think about our own uh, mini temples as we seek to show God in this world, um, it, that's a hugely challenging ask. And I think that is the, um, that's the grenade that uh, would have gone off for the early church as they heard themselves associated with this picture of the temple, the most holy thing that, was, uh, um, that they saw on earth, the most holy thing, the most set apart, an amazing and awe-inspiring thing was then drawn together in an understanding of what they were meant to be as Christians, as they followed Jesus in that way. Do we see ourselves like that? And I think the challenge to us is not just to live into that, but also to understand that. To, to kind of, I think the, the first step is actually to believe that of our own lives, and then to be able to go out and expect that of ourselves. I think it's, it's hard, it's that list, especially um, in Britain, um, I know they've been very friendly on, on the streets, but, but I'll tell you something about the British YWAM team. They're, they're, they're not as um, bold in, in sharing their own, um, uh, they're, not, they're not good at boasting, let's say. They're very humble in, uh, in sharing all the good qualities. You have to draw it out of them. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm trying to draw this out of you, church. I think these are the things that God says about you. God says you are sacred and holy and set apart. You're a place that's meant to offer the presence of God to people. And our mission as a church is to love Jesus, to love each other, and to serve the world. And, and I, I'm going to do a bit of a gear shift um, now in the sermon. And I, I would like us to think about what might be an explosion for us. The temple analogy is one that we don't quite get as, as easily, but this one I think is a challenge. And this one, incidentally, would not have been a huge challenge to the early church because they were already living like this. We, we saw in the way they were in Pentecost, they were hiding in an upper room. They were all together. They were, um, they were a community that was vulnerable together. They were all um, in community. They were living like the YWAMers, all in one big room um, and just sleeping on floors, um, perhaps. But they were together. Through the thick and through the thin, um, they were together. And that is so different to the life that we live in as Western Christians. And so this is, this is the challenge when I was reading up a lot about in the commentaries on this. The challenge was, your body is not your own. Your body is not your own. Your body is God's home, but it's also something owned. You're a stone within the temple. You're God's home, but you're also a stone in the temple. You are one of many who represent who God is. 
Often I think we read the Bible through a very Western and individualistic uh, lens. And we can't help that because it's just, uh, it pervades all that we hear and see and understand of life around us. But the, the Jewish nation and the people uh, that Paul was speaking to would have understood this already. They would have seen their, their um, community life as something important about sharing who God is. The challenge for us, I think, is to recapture some of that. And so the question I have for us as a church, and perhaps this is one we can chat to our neighbor about again, if you're up for that, is do you have, church is important. Um, This is where we come together and worship. This is where we come together to encourage each other. Uh, This is where we come together to pray corporately. This is um, a place where we gather together every week to um, hear God's word. But do you have places where you can be open, vulnerable, honest? A place that you can share the, some of the deepest things, and it may be not, maybe you're only starting in that community, but you're, you're able to grow into that ability to share the things that are actually going on in your life. Do you have people who, when they ask you, how are you doing, um, you're able to say, actually, I'm a wreck. And I really need your prayer. That's a, that's a long question. But do you have spaces um, currently that are um, spaces where you can be vulnerable? These are spaces uh, specifically around your Christian faith. Now, uh, chat to somebody next to you um, and, and, uh, if you want. Or you can just reflect quietly. Spaces where you can be vulnerable and open about your Christian faith. going to um, ask people to feedback, but some of those e- examples might be prayer partners. They might be prayer triplets. Uh, we had pattern groups running for some time. They might be Bible study groups or prayer groups that you meet in or home groups. These are the kind of the get real spaces that you can inhabit, the, the places where you can actually do real business uh, with God and with, um, with your fellow believers. And, and I would encourage you, if, if you struggle to, to kind of come up with a space, uh, you need one. 
Yeah, we need one. We need that as a church. The call to follow Christ is an absolutely impossible task unless you're filled by God's Spirit and you're in a community of support and love. And, um, and so that is what we need to step into. We're, we're going to be, um, our next sermon series after this is all about community. So we need to be stepping into how we live community well because this is not something that we can do um, on our own. And actually, it's nothing that was ever even understood uh, for the early church, that they would do it on their own. I think the picture of the early church is probably um, a misunderstood uh, one by our Western eyes, because we would have seen a b- building. They would have seen what we now call home groups, people meeting together, sharing food together, sharing prayer um, and support for each other. So if you're not in something like that, then perhaps you're not operating as, as Jesus first saw the church um, operating. And you're just missing so much of what God wants for you in your Christian walk. That was an aside, um, believe it or not, but <laughs> it's hugely important um, to how we're able to live out this call to be a temple. So as I, I had a lengthy aside there, I think I'm going to wrap it up. Um, Give me a sec. Great. I think we'll just stop there. (laughs) Um, We're called to be God's temple. We're called to... He's left us, I mean, um, one, of, uh, one of my favorite quotes about the church is that um, the hope of the world, the hope of the world that Jesus left for us is the, is the power of the local church. The hope of the world is resting within small communities, small temples who represent who Jesus is. We represent Jesus to the world around us. We represent him for good or for ill. The responsibility is huge. But actually, we've been empowered to do that, and we don't do it alone. And I, um, I just want to pray for you, us as a community, if that's right, and we finish. Can we stand up, and um, we'll continue to worship together as well.